Sports Illustrated's Mason Smith has one word to describe Alabama State men's basketball. It isn't good, but the future's brighter? Oh, yeah. It's Locked on HBCU. Play my music. You are Locked on HBCU, your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, family? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked on HBCU podcast, your number one daily one-stop shop for everything HBCU athletics, Monday through Friday, part of the Locked on podcast network, your team every day. And I, of course, am Darian Gray, a.k.a. the Mouth of the South, Texas Southern alum and former TSU Herald Sports editor. Thank you for going on this journey with me, making Locked on HBCU your first listen of the day every day and remember just because the mic cuts off does not mean that the journey is over just means it's time to follow me on twitter at south exclusives ends with an s and starts with an s we have sports illustrated's mason smith that's a lot of s's we have sports illustrated's mason smith on to discuss alabama state's basketball team and the one word he used to describe the team last year it isn't good but i'll let you hear from him and his reasoning for it Okay, Mason, now, when we were texting about Alabama State basketball, you had one word to describe the Hornets, and it was depressing. Now, I understand it's not fun being on a team that's not successful, but depressing? Uh, depressing. I think when you look at some of the, the gaps and scores for the teams that they played, it was kind of a hard thing to watch. I mean, the first game of the year, the first actual game of the year against UAB was a 40-point loss. Um, it was several 20-, 30-point losses to some – West Coast teams, Pepperdine, USC, you know, Pitt was was another tough loss. They played some teams well. I think they played Arkansas State pretty well, if I remember correctly. But there were a lot of really tough losses. And to be fair, though, I want to add some context. When I was going through the roster, you know, from last year of Mo Williams' last year until this year, only six players returned from that team. You know, Jordan O'Neill was the main person. Isaiah Ranch, we all got to know as the leading scorer for the team. You know, several other players, Malik Smiley, you know, Darrell Reed, like they've all, those are the only six players that came back and then only one coach was retained from the previous staff. So when you have a lot of turnover, you know, it, it kind of sets up for a rough stretch for a coach's first year. And I think that kind of what's what happened with Tony Matlock and the Hornets. And you mentioned Mo Williams in there. He went to Jackson State, still within the SWAC. Was there any, I would say, elevated pressure on Matlock to perform better at Alabama State than Williams did at Jackson State? Honestly, I don't think so. I think there is the pressure of maybe following a name like Mo Williams, especially thinking how he took a lot of those players. He took Trace Young, who was supposed to be the big, you know, recruit, three-star guy. Now, he's, he was at Jackson State follow alongside Mo Williams. But I don't think it was the pressure because when you look at the wins and losses, when we talk about success of a program, the program wasn't that successful when Mo Williams' first two years at Alabama State. I think that's one thing to kind of keep in mind that, yes, it was a rough year for Madlock, but when you – take a coach who was only there for two years and then he leaves and everybody transfers out. I think that's the context you kind of have to include when you're talking about the pressure about succeeding, you know, the previous regime. Yeah. You know, you say it is now, but depressing was, so what was the thing that brought this emotion? Cause now it sounds good. Now it sounds like you, you, you're rationalizing everything that's happening, 
but you told me this was depressing. I look, I don't want to beat down on the sad door, but I'm just curious of what was making this so difficult outside of those early losses. Well, the biggest thing that was depressing, I think, was mainly because of those early losses. That was the main thing. When you look at Grambling State and, you know, Arkansas Pilot against player, there are a lot of swag schools playing well against Power 5 schools. That was not the case for Alabama State. Getting a 40-point loss to UAB. Now, granted, UAB was fantastic this year. They had a really good team. Jordan Walker's an outstanding guard. But when you have those kinds of losses, you're trying to build some kind of momentum. You understand that you don't have great shots. We understand how HCU basketball programs to play all those role games kind of help meet budgets. We understand that. But when you're not competitive in most of those games, when you're being blown up by 15, 20, 25, 30 or more, it's kind of hard to kind of keep that motivation. Now, SWAC play was a different story. And, of course, we'll probably get into that as the show goes on. I think they played really well in SWAC considering how they left non-conference play. But those non-conference games, that's a really tough sell for Coach Malloc in a, a new program trying to establish a new culture. Yeah, you mentioned the out of the out of conference versus the actual swag play. Once we got into the season, what changes did you see within Madlock? Because this was his first year at ASU. He came over from the MEAC at South Carolina State. But what changes did you see in kind of his coaching, whether it was scheme or just comfort? I think it was more so just a level of comfort, understanding it's getting a team to play together, but you're developing that chemistry it just shows, and people talk about the swag and me. I guess schools that kind of beat up on each other when you get to conference play. But I think it's some kind of validity and some kind of value in being able to defeat teams in your conference when you're trying to establish, you know, winning. And they did that. Of course, they didn't, you know, make it to the swag tournament. Only the top eight teams make it. But this is a team that beat Southern. This is a team that beat Arkansas Pine Bluff twice. That has Sean Doss Jr., who's going to the G League Elite Camp and possibly the NBA Combine. So there was talent on these teams in the swag that they were defeating. I think that's some kind of positive momentum that you can use when you're discussing, hey, out of conference didn't do well. Swag play? Hey, six six wins is a great start for a first-year head coach, brand basically brand-new staff and almost a brand-new roster. Yeah, that's a really young roster. We'll get into that as we talk about the upcoming recruiting class in the next season. But not only did a new coach come along, he brought his son TJ Madlock with him, and he did a lot. For South Carolina State. He was pretty much everything for, for the Bulldogs. And when he comes to the Hornets, he's not the leading scorer, but he does so many other things for Alabama State, and that's why he was able to win Newcomer of the Year in the SWAC. What did you see from T.J. Madlock this season? One thing I love about T.J. Madlock is his rebounding ability at the guard position. I think one thing that Alabama State struggled with as I was kind of keeping up with the stats, they were third in rebounds per game. And I think a lot of it's because they had players attacking the glass, Jordan O'Neal, and TJ Madlock that were, you know, consistently pressing. Matter of fact, one of the best games I had written down for Madlock, 16 points and 12 rebounds against Pitt. And I highlight that game specifically because, of course, we talk about what HCCU's out-of-conference competition, net, you know, quality wins. That's Pitt is a Pitt's power five school. To put up a double-double against the Pittsburgh is a really valuable 10 against Grambling, who was a fantastic swag program that should have made postseason play, but that's another story for another day. I do think there's a lot to look forward to in terms of TJ Madlock. I do think he needs to improve his shooting. There, there's a lot that needs to go on in terms of that. But in terms of his overall contribution to Alabama State, I think he's a really good piece for them moving forward. Yeah, and I think that he'll be one of the two building blocks because you have him and then you also have Isaiah Range. When looking forward to next season, because we don't want depressing to be what we can say in a year from now, right, in any kind of capacity. What do you feel like the future of Alabama State in 2023 to 24 looks like 
with the duo of Range and Madlock? That's a great question. I mean, the last time I checked, I think Isaiah Range answered the entered the transfer portal. So I, I looked at, think- see, this is my thing with the transfer portals. It's hard to grip who's there. So I go to his Twitter and he still has Alabama State in his bio. So mm-hmm. I don't know how to treat it. His pictures, Alabama State. And these things aren't, bro, the transfer portal itself is so aggravating that I don't know. And we did an episode on it yesterday. But it's like, I can't keep track of everybody who enters the portal at all times. If it's not your pin tweet. Or something. So I don't know. You could be correct. I tried to go look and get that information in some capacity, but that's what I saw. So I, I guess what does the future look like for Alabama State in 2023 slash 24 with Isaiah Range or without him? Okay. Well, let's let's keep let's keep a fair point because we talked about how in one of your previous episodes, the transfer portal is not all bad. And I think right. one thing people forget about the transfer portal is kids are allowed to come back. So Let's just say, for the sake of argument, Isaiah Range does come back to Alabama State. That is a heck of a one-two punch with Range and TJ Matlock being able to score from the perimeter. I do think that would be a really beneficial thing for both of them, especially with the additions of another big man, somebody can help fill out the roster. Now, now if Isaiah Range does end, I think that's going to be a lot tougher for Matlock to you know, produce at the same level he did because there's going to be a lot more pressure on him. Thankfully, they brought, in, they brought another guy that we'll get into later, CJ Hines, but I think with Matlock being the face of Alabama State, at least somewhat of a face of Alabama State right now, it's going to be tougher for him. That's it's always going to be tougher when you have the player that was kind of like leading and taking some of that pressure off of you is no longer there. So I'm looking forward to see how Matlock kind of responds to that if it turns out he's one of the cornerstones and Isaiah Range has not returned. Yeah, I'm going to try to see. I'm going through his, his Instagram, or not his Instagram, but his Twitter as we speak to see if he says, I don't see transfer, so I'm, I'm, we're going to move with the idea that he does not transfer. That's what I'm going to hope. Um, but this portal can be – it's supposed to increase clarity, and that's not something that I feel like it does on the HBCU level. But nevertheless, we're going to go forward and talk about some of the transfer portals, some of the new recruiting class, a, a new recruit that you're really excited about, and a new addition as we continue with Locked on HBCU. Before we get into that, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. And FanDuel is the official sports book of the Locked On Podcast Network. And the NBA playoffs are still going on. They're still ongoing. And there's only one place to go. There's not a single series that is over to this point. Let me go ahead and drop the FanDuel graphic down below. I almost forgot to do that. But just go ahead. You see the website. FanDuel.com slash locked on. You can do the MLB. You have the NHL. The Stanley Cup playoffs are going on. I wonder if my stars are going to get a little bit of revenge over the Kraken in game four. There are so many things that you can put money down on, but only one place that I would suggest you to put money down at. And that's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more. And as we continue rolling on today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every day. We still have Mason Smith of Sports Illustrated here with us, and I do appreciate you for taking some of this time out. Now, we had a little bit up in the air about Isaiah Range and the transfer portal. Is there anybody that you know for sure or anybody else that you think is in the transfer portal from Alabama State? Uh, yes, when I when I was double checking who was in the portal just to make sure we had our facts together, Jordan O'Neal, team's leading rebounder, his name was Austin Trent supporter from what I saw on Twitter. Now I appreciate Jordan O'Neal. I want to give Jordan O'Neal his flowers. 
Because when a coach leaves and a lot of players leave from that previous team, no one's going to fault a player if he follows suit and finds a new program. But Jordan O'Neal, he stuck it out, still produced, you know, 6'6", six, six, com, combo forward. He really produced on the glass. I think that's one thing I really appreciate about him in that he's entered the transfer portal. I almost treat it like when LeBron left Cleveland the second time. Because it's like he came, he did what he needed to do. I hate to say it like that, okay. but he did what he needed to do. He respected the program. You know, he helped him out as best as he could. You know, and at the end of the day, he was going to pursue whatever basketball dreams he has. So, I, be honest, Jordan O'Neal, many flowers to him. But, yes, he's also in the transfer portal from what I saw. And now you have your leading scorer in Isaiah Ranch, who may be gone, and your leading rebounder in Jordan O'Neal, who may also be gone, which is a, which are big, pretty big holes for Alabama State. And you mentioned these holes when you going into the offseason, not once these guys left, but going into the recruiting class, what holes did you feel were mandatory that Alabama State filled and did they fill them? The biggest hole is shooting. Honestly, the SWAC has kind of struggled as a whole in terms of perimeter shooting, but Alabama State specifically, double-checking the stats, they were 10th in the league in scoring at 63.3 points per game, and they were last in field goal percentage at 37.5%. You cannot win basketball games if you cannot shoot. And as much as I love TJ Madlock, he only shot 70.4% from the free throw line. And the reason that's very alarming to me, when you can't produce at the free throw line or when you're struggling to produce the free throw line better, at a, better than an 80% clip, that makes me nervous in terms of having the ball in your hands late in the game. You know, you got to make a play. More often than not, we've seen in the playoffs all the time, both collegially and professionally, the guy with the ball in his hands, there's a decent chance he may be fouled. So if you want your top guy to go to the line, that's great. I'm not saying that TJ Mallett's a poor free throw shooter. Maybe it was just, you know, a, a bad stretch that kind of led to this overall percentage. But when TJ Mallett shoots 70.4, then Alex Anderson, who is a 9.9 .9 per game score, rounded up to 10, he shot 70.5. So if you're top two of your top three scorers, shoot under 75% from the line, that kind of makes you nervous when it comes to clutch game situations. So I think with that, they have to address it, and they did address it, signing C.J. Hines from Faulkner. He's coming from the NAIA ranks. I know we kind of sent you the post before we started recording. He's an NAIA first-team All-American. I think that's a very impressive stat. He shot 43% from three and 80% from the free throw line. That is an immediate need that is addressed thanks to him being signed and joining this team now. Let's say Isaiah Range does not return. TJ Madlock and CJ Hines is a heck of a backcourt for Tony Madlock to work with and be able to make sure to produce more on a perimeter basis, especially if they are able to add, you know, more shooting or more slashers just to be created a more well-rounded offense. And I want to make sure that I got those numbers right. You said 40% from three. He shot 43.4% from three and 80% from the free throw line. So it sounds like he'll check two of the big things that you felt were problems when talking about perimeter game and then also just the ability to knock down some free throws and the trust in a clutch performance. But that's not the only guy that you were sitting here looking for. And I'm looking at, is it, I want to make sure I get it right, Jastavian? Jastavian? It's Jastavian. I think, I think it's Jastavian from, from what I saw in clips. No, I just read it wrong. It's clearly just Steven. I just I just had a dyslexic moment. But just Stephen Walker, you know, that's a guy who – I find really fascinating because he was recruited by Madlock to go to South Carolina state. But then when Madlock left, he had this battle with the Bulldogs Walker did to get out of his national letter of intent. And then he wanted to follow Madlock back to Alabama state. What do you see in the future for a player like Walker? 
when I looked him up on Twitter and seeing how the situation was unfolding, it was kind of unfortunate. But everywhere I saw him listed, he was all of 6'10". Now, as you know, being a Texas Southern alum and with Jordan Carl Nicholas dominating the paint down there, having an integral big man can really change things for a basketball team. And just even Walker, what I was told, according to people I talked to at Alabama State, he missed this past season due to a knee injury. Now, that makes me worried. His game's predicated on athleticism. We'll see if he makes a full recovery. But if he does, or if he's even 90% of what he was before the injury, that's going to be a really large get. One thing that's one thing that's interesting in terms of their stats, they were first in the SWAC in offensive rebounds per game at 12.5. Now, you lose a lot of that if Jordan O'Neal does not return, but you get a lot of that back. You have a 6'10", just Stephen Walker, roaming the paint and being able to protect the rim mm. and you know finish plays defensively or help give second-chance opportunities on the offense. I do think it's going to be a huge opportunity for the – offense to be more balanced because you have cj hines and tony Ma- tj madlock on the perimeter and you have just stephen walker in the paint playing an inside out game is honestly one of the most fundamental ways of playing offensive basketball so i'm looking forward to see how he can contribute once he gets back on the court and then one thing that i found fascinating is that this team is extremely young when you go down the roster from last year it's a bunch of players who aren't seniors just whether it's juniors sophomores freshmen right you're looking at all of those players they're young. They're returning a lot of those players, but they also weren't that good last year. So it's kind of that area where how much is this recruiting class going to infiltrate the rotation? Because you have players who were there, but the players that were there didn't have the best success last year. When it comes to that recruiting class, and I think with Hines, I'm going to start with him because I know we talked about him at a pretty good length this episode. He's going to play. Let's, let's make no doubt about it. He is going to be in the rotation if for no other reason than it addresses a need. Now, usually when you have teams like a Texas Southern or you have a Grambling or a Southern that have, you know, depth, they have players that are returning and are doing well, you know, it might be hard for a pretty talented recruit to kind of crack that rotation. That's not the case at Alabama State. So I think a player like C.J. Hines is going to really be able to kind of get in there from the transfer portal and be able to contribute right away. And I do hope that whatever recruits they kind of get from the prep ranks or even more transfer portal players they're going to be able to contribute right away because honestly things are pretty wide open when you have tj matlock as your cornerstone or one of your cornerstones and you have a lot of players that aren't you know range may be gone or neil may be gone there's there's positions there's space on this team to crack the rotation and get minutes and i think coach matlock is going to be looking forward to that when you're going from year one to year two of a program yeah and going forward i want to switch gears away from alabama state broaden our our horizons a little bit and just discuss the nba not the nba but more so our hbcu players trying to make it to the nba as we continue with locked on hbcu And as we're wrapping up today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I have Sports Illustrated's Mason Smith here discussing Alabama State previously. And now we're going to discuss some of our HBCU prospects who are looking to get into the NBA, namely Joe Bryant and Sean Doss. Now, both of those players are going to be invited or have been invited to the NBA G League Elite Camp. I've talked about it a little bit on my show. But for those who maybe didn't catch the episode, go back to it. But if you didn't catch the episode and you're here right now, can you please illustrate what the G League Elite Camp is like? Absolutely. Now, of course, in the South, everybody follows football, and everybody knows football is a pre-draft process where you get to NFL. 
Same thing is for the NBA. There's a lot of things that kind of go on a recent senior game, the Portsmouth Invitational Tournament, and I mentioned these specific offense because that is where Joe Bryant Jr., the Norfolk State Guard, former MEAC Player of the Year, two-time MEAC Player of the Year, he had participated in these events, and he did very well. Now, he, along, alongside Pine Bluffs, Sean Dawes, have been invited to the G League Elite Camp, which is essentially another big step in the NBA pre-draft process. There's going to be an event held in Chicago the weekend before the Combine, where other players from around the country are invited to compete against each other, you know, do measurements, tests, you know, probably going to participate in some scrimmages. And the select few players that do well from that elite camp have the opportunity to be invited to the NBA combine, which is a couple days later. Same venue, same city in Chicago, but out of the G League elite camp to the NBA combine. How is that selected? Because I know we had three HBCU players last year. They didn't get selected. I think there was... I think it was like 40 or something amount of players last year. And it was only a handful. Like, what do you think? I don't know if you have any inside information, but what do you think that these NBA scouts are looking for in order to invite you to the NBA combine? I think the biggest thing you're looking forward to that they're, they're looking forward to is just how can you contribute to their team? Let's, let's remember when you're at the NBA combine, unless you're a top prospect, you know, like the Victor women, diamonds of the world, Scoot Henderson's, the Brandon Miller's, they're not looking for those players to be leading scorers. Like if you're invited to this G League League camp, you're looked out to fill a specific role. You're looked out to fill fill out a roster that can help, you know, deliver a championship at the end of the day. And I think that's what they're looking for. And the biggest thing about not only the elite camp, but just basketball and when it comes to the NBA, number one, they're a little bit more keen on individual success. When you think about football, they're talking about, okay, you know, level of competition, you know, rankings and, and things like that. At the NBA, you know, look at John Morant, look at campaign. Those are two guys that came from Murray State, not power, not power program, not a power program, but they both made the NBA after, you know, great displays in college and great displays leading up to the draft. I feel that's going to be the similar role for Joe Bryant Jr. and Sean Doss. They're going to they're gonna show really well against other competition from around the country. And I think they can really do that. That's the beautiful. That's the beautiful thing about basketball. And the second thing I want to get into, there is more head-to-head competition against the best in the country. Now, imagine at the NFL NFL draft combine, Darian, that let's say Mark Evans got a chance to go against Jalen Carter for five reps, and Mark Evans actually shut him down for three of those five reps. He would probably shoot up draft boards because of that head-to-head matchup against somebody who's elite, you know, on the other side of the ball. Honestly, that doesn't happen in football because you know the sport's very aggressive, taxing on the body. For basketball, that's not the case. These guys will be going against each other, against other elite players that are trying to make the NBA just like they are. So imagine if Joe Bryant and Sean Dawes are able to, you know, play very well against, you know, several top players. Matter of fact, there are two players from the University of Alabama who were named, you know, that received all SEC honors. Now, if you do well against those kinds of guys, who's to say that, hey, maybe there is something there? At least let's invite them to the combine and see what it looks like against the real, real top prospects. Right. And you spoke about roles. You spoke about head to head. You spoke about individual success. And all of those things lead me to what the last question will be. And that's when you're looking at Sean Doss, when you're looking at Joe Bryant, what ability do you think that each of them individually doesn't have to be the same thing? But what ability do you think that they can showcase the best or showcase the most at a camp like this? case for both of those players is their scoring ability. Obviously, they're they're known for scoring the ball, but scoring in different ways. For Joe Bryant Jr., he is a bowling ball of a point guard, can definitely shoot the rock, but he's not afraid of contact in the lane. 
then it's going to be a really big deal for him just to be able to show that he can finish. Because, of course, when you're coming against, you know, top competition or where you're coming against top competition as a smaller guard, because Joe Bryant's only about 6'1", 6'2". He's not a bigger guard. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be really big for him to show that he can finish, you know, against potential NBA length, NBA athleticism. If he can do that, it's going to be really good for him. And the same thing goes for Dawes. You can get your shot off on the perimeter, be able to create space, you know, facilitate, create the right plays, make the right reads. I think it's going to be the same case for him in terms of, hey, this increases your draft stock when you're able to make the right plays. They're not really looking for their next leading score. You're thinking, if you think about it, the teams that are potentially picking top of the draft, the Spurs, the Pistons, they already have their top young guys that are going to be scorers and lead the franchise to have. That's not going to be the case for Joe Bryan Jr. and Sean Dawes. But I do believe they have a strong possibility of carving out a role as spark plugs off the bench, as role players, as guys who can get certain kinds of buckets and make certain kinds of reads. Because it's just about scoring and it's about IQ and how you can fit into an NBA system. I think both those players have that potential. Man, I appreciate you coming on, detailing Alabama State's basketball, then also switching it up and going over to just HBCU prospects and the NBA draft. I really do appreciate it. Check out some of Mason's work on Sports Illustrated's HBCU Legends. I really appreciate you coming on, for real. And we'll have to do Alabama State football sometime. I don't want to put a time range on it, but sometime in the offseason, we got to click back up to do that again. But uh, I really do appreciate you guys. I appreciate you as well for making us your first listen of the day every day. Now, go ahead and come on back tomorrow it'll just be me again i'm sorry i know i know but it'll be me again so i appreciate you in the meantime in between time if you're looking for me you can find at south exclusives until the next time and be here each other family take care stay blessed peace